Hallelujah, Christ is risen. I can't tell you how happy I am to not do another Easter service preaching to a computer screen. It is, uh, it is just wrong to talk about resurrection with no other human living bodies in the room. And so I am glad to be here. I'm glad to be here with you. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you all. Today, we remember that the tomb is empty, that love incarnate cannot truly die. Today, we remember those words that we'll read later on uh, by John Chrysostom, uh, maybe my, some of my favorite lyrics ever written uh, in a sermon that says, Hell grasped a corpse and met God. It grasped the, for the earth and caught heaven. Right? Today is the day for bold proclamations about death itself losing its ultimate sting. It is a happy day indeed, a joyous ending to a season of Lent, a season that begins with reminding ourselves of our own finitude, our own eventual deaths. And today we talk about resurrection. It's a big, exciting day. And you know it when you come to church on Easter. Even for as weird a group as we are, you can tell things are a little different when you walk in tonight, right? This is the Sunday when people might come for the only time during the year. And, and, and those of us who don't come very often, even maybe do come every week, dress a little nicer. Even as casual as we are, sometimes dress at least a little bit nicer or try to match or something, Right? And then we slap on a smile. You can't see it behind the mask, but it's there, no matter how we're feeling, because it's Easter, and this is what we do on Easter. And I can tell you that as a preacher, this is the service that you have to do well in as a preacher. Guests are here, people you haven't seen very often. This is your chance to remind them again of how riveting you are on a week-to-week basis and how they should keep coming back, right? You have to do well. You have to come out of the darkness of Lent with a bright light. If a, if, a, if, a past, if a preacher's sermon crawls out of the tomb on Easter and it's not bright enough to see its own shadow, the, the pastor goes back into Lent for 40 days. A lot of people don't know that. It's high stakes. Right? You go big. You go likable and you go positive and you remind people of the beauty of this message. And hopefully at the end you get pats on the backs uh, in pre-pandemic, you might get a handshake. Now maybe a fist bump or an elbow bump, which I still can't get used to and feels wrong. And maybe even some people will lie to you and say they'll be back before next Easter. And then it was a good Easter day, right? That's Easter. That's Easter service. That's, that's what we have in mind. That's what you guys came in tonight on some level expecting and wanting. And I've got good news and I've got bad news. I'm going to do the best I can. But into this situation walks the Gospel of Mark. And I'm not sure if you paid attention to the gospel reading that just happened. But Mark's Easter story kind of lays the proverbial Easter egg. In fact, in the three-year lectionary cycle, there's four gospels. In the three-year lectionary cycle, this year, they give you options between either choosing Mark or John because Mark is just disappointing in his telling. It's not hyperbole. It's historical fact to say that the Gospel of Mark is so not crowd-pleasing in his Easter story that others came behind him and added more to the book later on. In fact, if you were to pull out your Bible or the, or the Pew Bible, uh, the Pew Bible uh, it'd be on page 51 of the New Testament, look in your Bible and see where Mark ends in your Bible. If you have it, you can do it now. If not, do it when you get home. If you don't have a Bible, you can probably find one on the internet or You should purchase one, really. Consider reading it. I hope you will. 
But uh, in, in most Bibles nowadays, uh, Mark kind of ends at, in 16 verse 8, and then there's some kind of saying that'll say like, the next verses are not in the earliest manuscripts, or in the Pew Bible here it says, um, it calls the shorter ending of Mark, and then the longer ending of Mark. Um, that is a polite way of saying someone added something to it later on. Because uh, what happens in, in kind of archaeology is you find these old autographs, they call them these old copies, and you go, here's the Gospel of Mark. And then you end up finding an older one, and you'll see that there's little differences. People change this little thing here, this little thing. But not a little thing. People added verses and verses onto the end of Mark. Because Mark's original uh, version doesn't have Jesus talking to his disciples, appearing to his disciples, uh, announcing anything to him, sending him on any kind of great commission, ascending into heaven. None of those things happen in Mark's gospel. And, you know, it was competing with other gospels that have better endings. And so eventually someone in the name of Mark just added to it and said, I'll fix it. Obviously, this broke off the tablet at some point, right? So I'm going to go and I'm going to fix it to you. People literally punched up Mark's Easter story. And it's not hard to see why. Let's reread again the, how Mark tells the glorious ending of Jesus' life on earth and the ending of the entire gospel according to Mark. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, the original ending of the book. When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go ahead and anoint him. And very early on that first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, quote, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb. Uh, For they went out and fled from the tomb. For terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone but they were afraid. The end. We've got some English professors in the room. You don't grade this well for an ending. Can you see why people added something, felt the need to add something later on? What kind of way is this to end the story of Jesus? I mean, just the very last sentence alone. The last sentence alone, Jesus' biggest admirers, those who were still around, still willing to go to the tomb, not like the male disciples who have all run away, like the brave women who are still around, even his most ardent followers and admirers in the very last sentence alone are running away, being overcome with fear and amazement, and not telling anyone anything despite an explicit angelic instruction to do that. The whole book ends with three words. They were afraid. This is a downer Easter story. No one is seeing Jesus firsthand. No words from the risen Christ or demonstrations of his power. No commission, no ascension. It doesn't make it easy on the reader. 
The story does not wrap up in this nice little neat package. This is not a 30-minute sitcom on TV. It doesn't make it easy on us. And I was somehow always under the impression that Easter was supposed to make things easy on us. Right? Sometimes subtly and sometimes explicitly, I was told that Easter, that the truth of resurrection was this kind of trump card that changed everything, right? That my faith could now be resolute, unflappable, above the ability to really harm or to really struggle. Now that I know that death isn't really death anymore, that death doesn't have the last word, everything else gets a little bit easier. It smooths out the rough edges. But Mark doesn't give us that. And to be honest, I don't know that I really believe that's true. Now, let me say it clearly. I believe in resurrection. I believe in life after this life, even though I don't presume to know too much exactly about how it works. I hold firmly to the idea of resurrection. I just do. But it has rarely, if ever, resulted in like an unshakable, unflappable kind of faith that floats above the earth somehow beyond question. That's just not what those things equate for me. And in many ways, especially this year, I think I might prefer prefer Mark's Easter story because it feels a little more true to life. I mean, as you guys know, I had the great misfortune of seeing death very up close and personal this Lent. And it was messy And even with a strong faith in resurrection, not just for myself, but for everyone involved, being seized with terror and amazement rings very, very true. I didn't lose my faith. I didn't lose my belief in resurrection. My mother certainly didn't. And my family didn't, to my knowledge. But there was plenty of fear and amazement to go around. There was lots that we were scared about. Plenty that scared us deeply and took our breath away completely. It was jarring. It's unsettling. And there are parts that left a permanent mark that I don't know what happens to from here on out. That's God's honest truth. We believed and believe in resurrection. And it was messy and hard and scary and heartbreaking. Just like Mark. And also, just like Mark, it was absolutely full of God's grace. It wasn't easy, but it was full of God's grace. And there are some profound moments of grace in Mark's very blunt telling of the ending of the story here. First, you have that line where he says, uh, where the angel says, Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of them into Galilee and will see him. Tell his disciples and Peter. Now, the first time I read that, I thought, this sounds like a dig a little bit at Peter, right? But I actually think that is a profoundly gracious statement. The disciples and Peter. That's a beautiful line because at this point, the only thing scarier for Peter than Jesus staying dead is Jesus coming back. The only thing scary is that Jesus might actually come back, right? Because Peter has overpromised and underdelivered. He denied Christ. He ran away. He chickened out. He lied and he fled. He is now on the outside of what miraculously ended up being the winning team against all odds and all appearances. There's no doubt 
If I was Peter in that situation and someone said, tell the disciples, I would not include myself in that, in that group name anymore. I would know that wasn't me. But the angel speaks of his inclusion by name. Knowing Peter might, not, might no longer assume that he is still a disciple, he includes him like none of the failures had happened. Like despite Peter missing all of it at the end, Peter can know he is only ever forgiven. That's a profoundly gracious thing that the angel says there. And then not only in that particular case, but just the way Mark ends his story, this ending, for the, especially for the early church who was first reading it, is profoundly gracious. I mean, consider the original audience. This, this, uh, this book would have come out about basically one generation after Jesus' death. The temple's been destroyed. This fledgling Christian church has already started to grow and expand beyond Judaism and, 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 and go in ways that no one ever would have imagined. The first readers of the stories would have been the early Christians, a generation after Jesus' death, who already know that the church is going to carry on, grow, explode beyond any reasonable expectations. They know that good things are coming, difficult things, hard things, martyrdom, all kinds of stuff that is not easy, but big, beautiful things are happening with the church, and they know that. And that generation of followers could very easily venerate the founders. This is what we tend to do. We get about one generation away, and we tend to make superheroes out of the people that we didn't get to experience humanity with, right? They could have very easily venerated those founders, We could have been left only with stories of those people slaying giants. And instead they get this. The women who stayed around the longest are afraid and disobedient and silent. They're anti-heroes. Like all of Scripture's heroes. And yet it all worked out, didn't it? church grew. It survived. It thrived. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, something had begun in that moment, as messy as it was, that is still going today, that split time in two. The church survived. The church thrived. It was changing the world on the backs of people like this, people like you and like I am. Not on the backs of giants, but on the backs of giant failures. And that is grace. As it turns out, faith and resurrection are not put out or put to bed by our own astonishment and amazement and fear. The world, your life, is and will be messy. It'll hurt Death is terrifying, no matter how much we believe in resurrection. Fear is immobilizing, and yet grace abounds. Because by definition, resurrection can't be killed, even by our own failures. Resurrection gives us the ability to lean in and push through, because we are resurrection people, 
and death doesn't get the last word. To say Christ is risen is not to bypass the mess, but to have the the ability to endure it. So this Easter, I want to say to you, give yourself a break. Give yourself some of the grace that Mark offers you in this messy ending to a wonderful story. Those who saw the stone rolled away and talked directly to the angels struggled just like you and just like me. And resurrection endured. And there is grace enough for all of us. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you use um, messes like ourselves. We are grateful that the heroes of the faith have feet of clay, that, that they struggle, that they are filled with fear and anxiety, that they don't listen, that they don't do what they're supposed to do, and yet still, in your gracious hands, eternal life is found. That what began back then with those few uh, women who were too filled with fear to say anything still continues today because that is the nature of your kingdom. And we are all graciously invited to participate. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your grace. We know that it doesn't mean we get to opt out of all the hurt and all the struggle and all the fear and all the mess. But God, we are grateful to be resurrection people and know those things do not get the last word. We love you and we ask all things in your name. Amen.